I can't wait for all this to get wiped from the internet immediately because of all the, the copyrighted music playing in the background. Oh, ain't nobody could hear that. Ah, you're right. That's a, that's not a song by one Michael Jackson. Shh. I'm so sorry. sorry. They... You can't say his name. Mr. Flaming Pepsi Hair. It's Jack Michelson. Jack, Jackson Michelson. Um, so you might notice uh, we there's a bunch of nature sounds and such. That is because we are Kirk currently record. There's there are moo cows. Moo, there anyway, are moo cows. We're recording at a Mahoning Drive-in this week. Well, at least we're recording the intro. Yeah, you won't have to put up with so too much of this. We drove an hour and a half to talk somewhere else for a few minutes, <laughs> and then watch a movie, and then not talk about it until Sunday. It's kind of cold though, so we're actually gonna leave and just watch this yeah. in, in <laughs> Nick's living room. Um, I did that once here. I came for the VHS fest, and I came alone. And then by the time it got to be dark, it was like 30 degrees, and I was like, I feel so bad, but I'm leaving now. So I just bought like 20 tapes and bounced. Nice. So, uh, Mahoning, you've never been here. You've never been to a drive-in. I've never been to a drive-in Congrats, theater. it's a big white thing, and there's a movie on it. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. It's cooler than I made it sound. It's uh, very cool. You got moo cows. Well, a little history about this place. It was opened in uh, 1949. It's been open ever since. In uh, 2014, instead of doing the costly conversion to digital, they decided to just stay a film drive-in and have been doing it ever since 1949. Yeah. It's the largest panoramic screen in Pennsylvania. It's a very large screen. Oh, it is a big boy. It looks, it's so like, it's hard to describe having not really realized what a drive-in movie screen was going to look like. It's sort of industrial. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, like corrugated what? steel, but... It looks like basically like a giant billboard. Yeah. Made of corrugated steel. I mean, in a way, it is. <laughs> a billboard now, for uh, shitty directors, but we'll get there. <laughs> there there was a uh, drive-in near my parents' house that still runs. It's called Becky's. They have two screens. And apparently, back when my mother was about my age, it used to be a porn theater. It was an adult, a strictly adult drive-in theater, which I did not know was a thing. I knew Becky's sounded cool. I don't think they were called Becky's when it, they might have been. Yeah, that wasn't I don't a know, name. they just used to do like super <laughs> XXX showings at night, and I was like, wow. drive Yeah. Like, that's the kind of drive-in kids would be sneaking into. Hell yeah. With their slingshots and spotted dogs to <laughs> see a straight tit. So anyway, uh, during after reading, we're here to uh, watch every Laura Dern movie, and this week we're watching Wild at Heart. Yay! Yay! Max is so excited. He loves David Lynch. Love David Lynch. I'm kind of excited about this one. Me too. I mean, it's Nicolas Cage. It's Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Love her. I Big mean, it fan. seems like Insane a it seems like years. a like a hot '80s like race car kind of vibe, maybe not yeah, race car, I, but like fancy. I think car. like crime thriller romance vibe. I it? I that's what I'm hoping for. This like just the, any of the, I know nothing about this movie. First of all, so we'll talk about that next time. But um, I just it gives me such um vibes of that movie with Bruce Willis Natural Born Killers like whenever I see the imagery it gives me like similar vibes to and I've seen that movie I know nothing about this movie sexy moiter yeah sexy moiter um moita moita you're you're arrested for moita my only the only thing I know about this movie a friend of mine has the poster in Mm -hmm. her house and I'm gonna judge her one way or another based on how I feel about this film. Now, do you think um, Rodney Dangerfield is in this movie as well? Rodney Dangerfield, because he is famously the sexually weird dad in um. Wow, that's a in a, that's the a really other passive one. way to Natural say born sex killers. predator. He's a he he's was. A, abuses sexually yes. abuses his he does. daughter. It's 
very fucked to a laugh track. Weird. It, it is. It's a strange one. It does one. have that Lynchian edge, doesn't it? It does. What if we had a bad guy but you put a laugh track on it? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, no, a lot of people don't know this. Rodney Dangerfield is in every movie. Oh, really? Yeah. He's like Alfred like Hitchcock, it's but like everyone. It's an Easter egg. All oh, movies, yeah. every film you've huh. ever seen starred Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, what's that really sad movie with that twist ending? Caddyshack. Um, no. <laughs> Um. Ah, oh, what's it's like a World War Two picture, and like the woman turns out to be a man at the end. Um, the crying. Yes, game. the crying game. He's in that, right? Yeah. Cool. He, he cool. Cries. <laughs> He's the one that cries. <laughs> He's the one who's crying. The camera pads to a laugh and real funny like, and then it's over. Yeah. <laughs> After that man stra- slaps that trans woman. Ah, uh, mm. what a film. Still haven't seen it. I just, yeah, I just know the uh, the twist. Everybody knows the twist. Yeah, same the thing. Twist. I've read the Wikipedia. Page. I think, I feel like there was an episode of the Larry Sanders Show where a continuing plot point was that people were talking about it. That sounds. Accurate. And that his bumbling sidekick had didn't know what happened, or he he was lying and pretending to know. He's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I love that twist at the end. It's <laughs> a very good uh, Jeffrey Tambor. Thank you. That was very. I didn't expect it to come out that well. He also uh. He, Give us a hey now. He drops he... a hey now. <laughs> Hank Kingsley. Um, that was. A, I'm upset how real it sounds in my head, but I'm sure it doesn't sound as no, good. No, you sound great. Ugh, I don't want to do it that. From your little, I don't like that Jeffrey Tambor is inside your squeaky, of me. Squeaky, up here voice, and then you kind of just tambor in. There's a tiny little Jeffrey Tambor inside of me. <laughs> Um, deep bassy there is an episode with the Wu-Tang Clan where he um, drops a few n-words trying to be cool to them and they're like not they don't hurt him but they aren't cool with it that's fun it's funny that's fun he would I think he says so uh, where's dirty old bitch and they're like (laughs) (laughs) like, dirty old bastard he's at home Dirty old bitch. <laughs> and he's, he he thinks he so, has so much cred, and it's hilarious seeing him get shot down by most of the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> so this is uh, turn after reading the show where yeah. we uh, talk I, about how much we, we like. Yeah, Sanders we talk show. about basically the Larry Sanders show. I do my Jeffrey Tambor impression. Um, we will be having a nice interview with an employee of Mahoning uh, next time when we meet again. But through the magic of editing, that'll be right now. Now no, we're gonna keep going. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. We get to talk about Laura Dern with a third person instead of just you yeah, and me. Yeah, we only did that once before. And oh, this yeah. is a mystery person because we've Ooh, not met this Yes, we, she is um, pregnant from what I've been told. Congratulations. Um, she's planning a wedding and she also Give works here, so address. she is very busy. Um, no, but her phone number is Klondike9512387. Hit <laughs> him with the Klondike. That's a, that's a, old Sim- soul. That's a Simpsons joke right there. That's a, Mr. Burns that's is so old. <laughs> That's a my parents joke. Ah, well, They're your old. dad is 69 now. Nice. Nice. Up top. Happy birthday, Pops. Good job, go. Max's dad. Made it to the sex number. <laughs> uh, I think George Carlin said that was his, one of his favorite ages to turn. Sounds accurate. I think in one of his last shows, he was like, ah, 70's good. Like 69 better, but what are you going to do? I do. Some of my favorite Carlin is just the, the kind of juvenile. <laughs> Oh, like boobs is funny, Carlin. Um, I really like the hippy dippy weatherman. Yeah. I, think, I think that's a good silly character. It is. Tonight, a chance of dark, <laughs> starting in the early evening and lasting through the late morning. <laughs> 
Not as good as your Tamar. Yeah, it's not as good. A cloud of bad vibes coming in from the east. Watch out for that. (laughs) But yeah, um, what else is going on? Uh, Laura Dern, she is talking about lung cancer in some interviews. I don't know why. You know, they're giving her money, probably. We know she'll hawk anything for a buck. (laughs) (laughs) We're on to you, She's a con man, a flim-flam artist. She is. Anything for a buck. My gosh. She'll be selling a grill soon. As soon as George Foreman kicks it, they're going to put her face on it instead. Hey, don't call him. Don't you flim-flam the George Foreman grill. (sighs) Him and his eight sons also named George Foreman. The melted fat, (laughs) rendered fat tray. There is a... That was just college living. There's an episode of King of the Hill with George Foreman and his daughter as guest stars. And um, Hank makes fun of the grill and calls it a novelty grill. And then him and George Foreman get into a beef. And then one of his eight sons had to pull him off of him. Nice. By the way, all the sons are named George Foreman. I don't know if you've heard this. I believe his daughter is named Georgette. Yes. I believe he has three or four sons. They're all like named. They're George 1, got 2, a 3, bit and of an ego on him. I mean, when and you take that many hits. dead, hit- then I'm going to say right out, he sounds like a little bit. An old dirty bitch. I was really hoping that was a Laura Dern painted denim jacket on this man that just pulled in. Unfortunately, it is not. Oh, man. Although this does look like the coolest group. Yeah. Good for them. We're doing live commentary now of the Mahoning <laughs> Drive-In lot. Uh, it's a Tuesday. They it's a little good chilly. Hair, good flannel. It's a Tuesday David Lynch night, so only the coolest of people are here, including Max and myself. We got some uh, hot young people up there. Got a... Got a man in the blue car that is secretly smoking throughout the film. Punk, cool, Jersey plates, no surprise there. There's, a lot of people don't I, know this. If you don't know the region, Jersey's, Jersey's more punk than you. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been seeing some pretty cool patches around, too. I saw a nice Mothman patch earlier. Mm. Uh, this, is a, this is a big patch crowd. Yeah. Lots of patches here. All kinds of stuff. <laughs> a lot of painted jackets, a lot of vintage pants, I would guess. A lot of cassette lovers. I'm wearing vintage pants. There you go. Oh yeah, big VHS group. Big they do look nice. They don't make this color pant anymore. I know. I can, it's like a can light you describe beige, it? Brown. It's, I'm gonna feel this. It's undescribable. Are these cords? What do you got? Oh no, it's just like a nice. Nah, they're denim. like a, they're like a nice vintage Levi. I got them for like eight bucks at a Goodwill. I love them. They're great pants. I've like these are the pants I've taken the most care of because I actually want them to last. It cleans these pants every night. I sure with do. With his tongue. I, I, I give them a little cat bath every night. That I do myself. <laughs> if I have a friend visiting, I'll let him have a lick. <laughs> or her. Anyway. Y'all heard him. Yeah. Come on by. Either way. Come on by. Come say hi. Uh, anyway, let's enjoy the show. Yeah, I'm we're going to get some popcorn. We're going to watch a movie, get a popcorn. We'll talk to y'all in right a now. minute right now. Alrighty, and with the magic of editing, here we are several days later talking to Faye from Mahoning. Hello, Faye. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, so what do you do there at Mahoning? Also, what is Mahoning for our listeners? Well, uh, Mahoning Drive-In Theater is in Lehigh, Pennsylvania. It's the country's last 35 millimeter only drive-in. And this is its 72nd consecutive season. It's been open since 1949. It's unlike any other drive-in I've ever experienced. And it's an absolute mecca for film nerds and film fans. They put on so many special events and without getting too gushy and rambling too much, the, the camaraderie of the, the guests that show up, you leave, you could show up alone and leave with 10 new friends. It's amazing. Everybody mingles. It's not one of those drive-ins where you just sit in your car and don't talk to anybody. It's incredible. 
Um, as for what I do there, I showed up there like four years ago to just to watch Indiana Jones and I basically never left. Um, <laughs> they were so kind to me. Uh, my uh, boyfriend, now fiance and I and our best friend Jared showed up in costume because that's what we like to do sometimes. Uh, I was Marion and Jared was Indy and Tank, my uh, fiance was the, we call him the Germanic mechanic. The guy that punches Indy uh, and gets his head blown off by the propeller. Um, and they just gushed over us and they gave us posters and t-shirts and invited us into the projection room and let me hold um, the reels, the 35 millimeter reels of Indiana Jones, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And just right away, like it just became my favorite place. And after that, they started asking me to come back just to be a cosplayer because they like to have these immersive photo ops where you pose in a set, like an elaborately built set from whatever movie they're showing with the cosplayer. And from that, they decided to make me even more useful. And they started giving me whole weekends to host. So last year I hosted a sold out Mad Max weekend. And this year I'm right in the midst of uh, hosting a sold out David Lynch weekend. Well, that is very apt because we came in on Tuesday and watched Wild at Heart for the first time. I know. And <laughs> I thought I was going to be there too. It's been a wild week. Uh, yeah. Ideally, God, that would have been amazing to play Wild at Heart Thursday. So it could just roll right into the Lynch weekend. But how was Wild at Heart on 35? I've never seen it. It was, we, we, he has never been to a drive-in up until Tuesday. And I, we had neither, neither of us had ever seen the movie. So it was very interesting to see it like in the big screen in the outdoors. It was a little cold, but it was very good. And also it was the like the uncut version, which I feel like is probably the better version to see first with all of the extra gratuitous sex scenes and violence, of course. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know what I heard though? With, I was so intrigued by the NC-17 rating and I was like, ooh, like, like the teenager in me was like, what is it? Like what sex scene is it going to be with this? Do you know what it is? Do you know what I, I do? I found out this I weekend. I believe it's uh, Willem Dafoe blowing his head off. That's all it is. Out of all the things it could be, it's just that it's a clearer, slightly more graphic version of Willem Dafoe blowing his head off. Huh. And I was like, oh, out of all the things, but whatever. <laughs> so um, I realized on my way to the studio today that um, we've never had a woman on this podcast, especially a podcast about one of our favorite women, Laura Dern. So well, can, welcome. Congrats. Thank you. Can we add, can we add a sound like effect? Yeah, we'll, we add, we'll add some effect? nice like confetti. Maybe like the Just sound like, you get at the end of Roller Coaster Tycoon, a little clap. <laughs> Just shattering the glass ceiling. Is there that kind of sound effect? Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh that's good. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry, we'll my just like Wonder Woman first and through something. <laughs> we can work with that. No, so, um, I guess. Well, I'm honored. So the pressure's you. on. Yeah, you represent all women here today. <laughs> you made it just I, under 50 episodes. I have been waiting for this moment my whole life. Here we go. <laughs> oh man! So Laura Dern, what do you think of her? What are your opinions? I hope they're positive. Oh, they're all positive. I would, first of all, first of all, if somebody out there doesn't like Laura Dern, can you please be quiet? Sorry. (laughs) If there's somebody out there that doesn't like Laura Dern, like, I'm going to give you my number. Like, come, come talk to me. Let's have a talk. Because what's your problem? She is the most... I'm so sorry. Oh, you're fine. We're hung. We're... Just for listeners who can't see the video, I'm in a hotel room and it looks like a tornado blew through. We're hosting this three-day weekend. 
And uh, my fiance just came in with food and we're trying to shovel it into our, before we go and get into costume at the drive-in. So anyway, Laura Dern, magical human. Um, my first real introduction to her, I'm 35, was Jurassic Park. And she was Thanks. one of the, I was, I still hadn't really seen, as far as strong female role models go, I hadn't seen Alien yet with Sigourney Weaver who like, you know, blows like the strong female lead out of the water. But like uh, Dr. Elsa, Ellie Sadler was my first introduction to strong, powerful women who aren't a damsel, don't need rescuing, have their own opinions, can take care of themselves. That's I was nine. That scene where she like cocks a gun. She's like, we could discuss like sexism in the workplace. Like when I get back, I was like, damn, like she just, just blew my mind. Cause she was the first one that wasn't, um, like I said, I grew up with Indiana Jones. Like she wasn't just the girlfriend or like the whiny sidekick who needed like her hand held while they escaped danger. You know, she's, and she just went on to just do so many complex roles. And I adore her relationship with David Lynch. I love reading interviews with them. It always involves them getting cappuccinos together and like talking about art. And I don't know if you read the recent, I didn't read the whole thing yet, but uh, a recent interview she did with Elle, um, she kind of vaguely discussed David Lynch's new project. And her words were, um, he's creating something like just radical and fantastic. I know the word radical was in there. And we she said, were, there's sorry, we were just talking about that literally right before you came on. Yeah, I mean, for as a Lynch fan, like reading that headline and then like reading into the article was like Christmas, like just hearing because nobody there's so much mystery around Lynch and his projects. And to be fair, that like she did not elaborate any more than that. So there's still a ton of mystery, but we're all dying to know uh, what Lynch's new project is. The code name is Wisteria. The official unofficial title is Unrecorded Night. I think it's a 13 episode deal with Netflix. Um, it's getting, I mean, I know this is not quite large. I, I don't know if she's involved or not, but like Kyle McLaughlin posted a picture of Wisteria and certain people, uh, celebrities turned down, initially turned down my weekend to come visit and, and meet guests because they were shooting something in LA. So it's just, there's so much mystery and excitement around it. And just to get anything new from David Lynch is a gift. And I hope Laura's involved because those two working together, it's always magical, whether it's Blue Velvet or Wild at Heart or Twin Peaks, The Return. Um, you know, he gave her that part in Twin Peaks, The Return, just because he loves her so much and she's so fantastic. Have you seen that? We have not actually. That is one of the few things we have left to cover, Laura Dernman's. Well, call me back. We could talk <laughs> about her as Diane for six days if you want. So I won't get into that then. Okay. We could talk enough. about that some other time. Um, I guess there's like two things I can still think of before we let you enjoy your dinner and get to your lovely David Lynch. Yeah. Um, Max here, sorry, sorry to blow your cover. He doesn't love David Lynch. I do not. He's very um, He's not critical forever. of him. And I, I was just, I think, I didn't know if you would clash or like, what, what are your <laughs> no, thoughts on his I wasn't going to say anything. I didn't want to make this a battle. Um, I mean, I, mean, I, I, will, I will say... I'm relatively new to Lynch. I tried Twin Peaks a couple times. I, I saw some appeal. I loved Kyle McLaughlin. Everyone tries it in college. <laughs> um, but it was really <laughs> That's true. The only two movies I've seen now would be uh, Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart, both of which we watched for this podcast. And for me, it's hard to... It feels like he's trying to shock me, and I can't tell why. It's like, 
I, I think I see this like very good, very good eye. He does very cool stuff. Some of the, the scenes look incredible, but I, I leave with the feeling like, I feel like this is a guy who's just trying to prod me and get me to react to something violent or something. And I feel like maybe I'm just missing something because I know he is beloved. Well, maybe you're not missing something. I mean, at the end of the day, it is just art and art is subjective. And he refers to his films as art. And that's also why you never get a solid explanation. And rarely do you get an ending that makes sense and leaves you feeling like, oh yeah, that's the end of that story. I understand it now completely. Because he says, why would I understand art? He's like, life doesn't make sense. Why should art make any sense? So he makes something and it means something to him, but it doesn't mean the same thing to me and it wouldn't mean the same thing to you. And if it doesn't click with you, it's just art that doesn't click with you. Um, I personally, I mean, I, I have I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends who love him. The majority of my friends love him. There's a few that just love to razz on me for him because they can't stand him. They call it, I hope this isn't too graphic. They, they refer to it uh, or compare it to edging. Like you just never get that, <laughs> that like completion, that sense of satisfaction. <laughs> so it's not for everybody. I get that, you know? I'm not here to convert you. And when did you when did you first uh, fall in love with David Lynch? At a wildly inappropriate age. <laughs> good. I was 12. Um, nice. What was yeah. it? Uh, it was Firewalk with Me and uh, Lost Highway. I Lost Highway had come out when I was 12, and I remember I. I lived in a really small town and like that stuff didn't come to our theaters, but I remember going to Blockbuster and renting it and watching it at a friend's house and being scared out of my mind by it, but also completely like I was enthralled and captivated by it. And I'm a visual person. I'm a photojournalist and a documentary photographer and a documentary filmmaker. So watching just the way he made you afraid of things like just innate objects, like in Firewalk With Me, you're scared of that ceiling fan. Um, just in, in Lost Highway, just the way that mystery man with the video camera just stands there and the way he uses Angelo Badalamenti's like sound and, and music, he shakes you. He just knows how to make you feel anxious or confused or terrified in a way that I lack that ability. Like I'm a journalist, like I just deal in whatever's happening as it unfolds, but he knows how to manipulate you in a way that I just really respect. Um, and I just admitted this actually on another podcast. I really never admitted this before. My introduction to Twin Peaks was Firewalk with me. I saw it backwards, but I couldn't get my hands on Twin Peaks. So I saw Firewalk with me very young at a wildly inappropriate age and just pretended I understood what it meant. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, I get this. Like, this is cool. And like, I would try to interpret stuff. But then like the minute I saw Twin Peaks and then watched Firewalk with me, I'm like, oh, you idiot, you dumb little idiot. Like, you didn't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm forgetting off the track of Laura Dern, who's amazing and who I love. I'm sorry. We do that We've all spent the plenty of time Fantastic. on her. Okay. Right. <laughs> I, I want to ask the one other, I had forgotten the one other David Lynch project we watched for this was Industrial Symphony Number no. 1, The Dream of the Brokenhearted. Have you seen this one? Yes, but it is not fresh in my mind whatsoever. So I can't offer you any like insightful intake on that. But he's incredible. What did you think as a not? As I, not a it was my favorite Lynch because it was just an art film. It was like something you'd go um, and see a presentation in. It was in like some old stage theater. 
and they did this weird production. And I liked it because I wasn't expecting like a cohesive story structure <laughs> and it worked for him. And that like the visual unsettling aspect, he had one like a demon man on stilts. Yes, and yes, yes. even in watching this, like you can only find like YouTube footage, crappy footage of this uh, project. Even in that, it was unsettling, and I could only imagine being in the theater and seeing this, like, 30-foot-tall demon man. It was haunting, and I do think his visuals, that, to me, was my favorite. And we watched because it yeah. starts with Nick Cage and Laura Dern, presumably, as their wild character. Right. Yeah. yeah he, see, he doesn't know how to scare you. I guess it just takes a certain visual to scare each person. I mean, that, oh, that he, he can scare me and he can make me laugh. Those two, he's got, he's close. He's close. It's just, I want a story. <laughs> I want, I want themes that make sense and I can't find them. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to look elsewhere for that. <laughs> <laughs> Except Twin Peaks. I think Twin Peaks does have, you just have to get really like loosey goosey with like your timeline, but I think you can tie it all in together. Most I'm excited of it. Not to, to do to finally do all of Twin Peaks because I want to see if he has more time to tell me the story. I'm interested to see what he's got, and so that multiple seasons and a movie bring it on. I'll yeah. give him a shot anyway, and maybe I'll maybe I'll become a Lynch fan. I don't know. Like somewhere, like David Lynch's ears just perked up. <laughs> like. I've got another fan coming. Yeah, it's that's the tantric energy in him. He just <laughs> feels the tingle. He's been doing it every day since the 70s. One last thing I'd like to do, and then we will let you go. Sure. That's okay with no, both of no, you. Of course. No, I'm having a great time. Um, we have both watched a lot of Laura Dern movies. So I think we should go around and each suggest one movie for our listeners to watch. And you can do a Laura Dern movie or any movie. You obviously have a lot of expertise as you do work at a movie theater of sorts. And we've both seen a lot of weird Laura Dern movies. So I guess I'll go first. There's just something I was thinking of. And I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it's an old TV movie. It has the Karate Kid in it as well as Laura Dern. And oh it is God. called, I'm sorry. It is called The Three Wishes of Billy Grier. And the Karate Kid, uh, what is his name again? Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio. He gets the old man kid disease. Like he starts aging rapidly. His grandfather is played by Hal Halbrook, a man we talk about all the time. And he has three wishes before he dies, which he's going to do very soon. And that is to make love to a woman, play in a jazz band and meet his father. And he does these all in one night. This is a TV movie? Yes, it is (laughs) a fantastic film. And I just, I was thinking about it this whole time. I was like, this is the person we need to tell about. That is wild. Uh, I have, I don't think I've ever heard of that or seen that. That is crazy. I, she must be young in that. Oh yeah, she was. That was one of her earlier roles for sure. She did some really weird TV stuff in the middle there. And, and that for yeah. me has been some of the most fun is like finding these movies that we never, never would have been on anybody's radar. And some were great. Oh. Some, I don't know if that one's great. It's interesting. <laughs> hmm. I'm gonna have to watch that. It's it's definitely worth the time. All right. So pretty. If you would and like what's to. What's yours? Take... Oh. Oh. Mine. Well. Oh. Yeah, I want to hear yours. 
Let's see. I gotta look at my Dern top 10 list to like pick one. Okay, yeah. Um, 1998, one of these little made for TV movies, The Another Baby one. Dance. And The Baby Dance, Laura Dern plays a pregnant woman who lives in a trailer park and her and her husband and then a rich couple comes from LA to basically they will be getting her baby when she births it. And despite that, like, I think it's very easy to make that movie terrible and like have these like clear rich villains and these like black and white kind of thing. But it's this very touching, intimate kind of look at all these characters highlights all their flaws and just like the underlying power dynamics around sort of money and trying to raise a kid in poverty, um, but never like villainizes any individual, but just kind of critiques the whole thing. Deeply oh, heartbreaking, wow. very moving. One of the best. Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> oh yeah, and Stockard Channing plays oh. Rizzo. <laughs> Uh, I love her. Rizzo, yes, Rizzo. Um, she and one of the guys from Animal House, the dark-haired one, the one who's in the mask, I can't think of his name. They are the rich couple. Um, Magical, The Baby Dance, 1998, one of my favorite turns. That's incredible. You've given me two excellent recommendations to watch. Um, if I'm, I'm just going to be honest, instead of trying to sound like interesting and deep and uh, like I'm varying my tastes, I would have to assume a lot of people actually haven't seen Wild at Heart, maybe. It's, it's older. It's a little obscure. I actually genuinely would recommend it. I have a second one. It's kind of bending the rules. It's a TV show. But I loved her in The C Word. Like, that was just... Uh, did you see that? Not yet. No. We're kind of saving the TV shows for the end. Okay, well, I, I won't I won't get too into it. I won't take up your airtime with it. But just my father passed from cancer seven years ago. And this came up before that. But in hindsight, I, I think about it a lot and just how refreshing it was, how they approached it and talked about it. And until you experience that kind of loss and that kind of life experience, you don't really realize that people don't know how to talk about it. And they don't know how to talk to the person who has it. And things change and dynamics change and you start like tiptoeing around people that you normally wouldn't have to tiptoe around. And it was just a really refreshing take on, on that and illness and everything that embodies that. But I know I broke the rules and I named a television show. I'm sorry. So I do recommend Wild at Heart, even though we've already talked about Lynch and you're talking about that movie to begin with in this podcast, but her <laughs> sexual energy in that movie it's is the hottest during oh, hands down. Like, <laughs> unbelievable she makes me wonder i'm like am i really a woman because like holy shit like this woman is like like i've never slinked around in a dress like that and like danced in the desert with nick cage oh that sounds awesome like she just man lulu is just an unhinged in a beautiful way character uh i recommend it if anybody hasn't seen that film yet please watch that agreed i mean i agree but we're gonna talk about it after you go i'm excited Okay. Are you going to talk about me also after I go? Yeah, you know. <laughs> That's what we do. We have guests on and then we trash them as soon as they're off the air. That would actually be a really funny premise for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Well, before you leave, any, do you want to, where can people find more about Mahoning or more about you and your work if, if you have anything public? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, 
like I, I only come in once a year to host like one big weekend for them and not to brag, but it always sells out. And it's always amazing. It's super fun. Um, so you can check out the Mahoning Drive-In on Facebook. It's um, M-A-H-O-N-I-N-G, Mahoning Drive-In Theater. And that's on Facebook. That's where they post all their events and you can buy tickets to their events. Um, as for me, I'm at Faye Merman on all social media platforms. I have a documentary coming out uh, called Humongous. It's about a group of hardcore Mad Max fans that travel the world and recreate the Mad Max films in the Australian outback and in the Mojave desert. They basically live a post-apocalyptic enthusiast lifestyle. And they come from all corners of the world to get together at these little desert events. And um, it's actually how I met my fiance. Uh, he <laughs> is the leader of the this band of misfits that I've now become a part of. Um, and spoiler alert, I mean, it's a, it's a happy ending. We, we fall in love and we're having a baby. So <laughs> it took a turn. It took a turn. And the reason it hasn't come out yet, I premiered a part of it in uh, the Australian Outback in the same theater that George Miller premiered Mad Max 2 in. And it was so well received. The entire town came out. It was amazing. Um, but I came back and I thought, like, I don't know how to end this. There's no ending. But uh, now we're expecting a baby and we're getting married next month. So there's your ending. That is a congratulations. Thank when, you. When do you expect that to come out? I want to watch this. Well, I better get it done before this baby's born because <laughs> then I'm going to have no time at all. Um, I was, it was supposed to come out two years ago, but then I started another documentary project with um, John Stewart and the 9-11 healthcare survivors that were um I don't know if you remember seeing like John Stewart screaming at Congress like two years ago. Yeah, that was our that for... was our foundation. That I did a lot of doc documentary work for them, and then that brought me back to Manhattan, and I was working full time for them. And then I so you you just if anybody has ever worked full time in Manhattan, that means like seventeen hour days, and you have no life. So uh, now that I'm pregnant and relaxing, I'll be editing it this year. Now that we have an ending, so hopefully by the mm, end of this year, I really hope it'll be done. Oh, but uh, that's oh thank you it's um you could check out humongous doc uh com or you could check out humongous the documentary on facebook um but it's spelled like the villains spells it in mad max so it's h-u-m-u-n-g-u-s it's not spelled correctly at all awesome well thank you for spending some time with us on this lovely sunday and uh we'll see you at the movies i guess Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad we can make this work with how much yeah. I'm running around like a lunatic. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, Faye. It was a pleasure. All right. We'll talk soon. Take talk care. Soon. Breaking news. Uh, we're back. Return was not in the big sea. Oh, sorry, Faye. No, th thank you. We, <laughs> we made a joke about bashing you, but thank you for coming on. That was great. That really was. Here we are, three weeks later. <laughs> three weeks of post-production later, talking about uh, Wild at Heart, finally. Yeah, we did it. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess we need to start in the natural place. You start with these things. Uh, we're going to talk about the Loras. Which <laughs> so, we knew that this was one of the, I believe, the only film that Laura Dern gives us a full frontal nude scene. That's not true. A full up, upper torso frontal nude scene. Yes. And it's because she believed in this movie. I think this might have been one of the reasons she got emancipated was to do this film. Maybe not this film specifically. 
Also, her mom. It was seems in strange it, but... that she would get emancipated to be in a movie that her mother also. That's starred. true. I guess that was uh, that was earlier work because she. This would have been her in her twenties by now, probably at least. Anyway, yeah, unimportant. It, it does feel strange that um, this is a weird movie to be in with your mom. It really is, and especially how unhinged her mother is for the entire film. Yes. So anyway, back to the Lores real quick. Uh, so we knew this was going to be a very um, Laura-heavy... We did not know how Laura-heavy it would be. It's pretty Laura-heavy. Uh, the Derns, of course, I'm speaking of, yeah. not the woman. Although it is very... This is probably the most Laura Dern screen time we've ever seen in a movie. It's up there. It's within the top five. Because, like, just... She's always there, which is great. So you know how many movies we've watched where she's there for, like... One scene, or she's on a phone call, and that's it. <laughs> or she dies in the beginning. Um, so we had a little a little guessing game. We wanted to guess how early in the film you see the Derns. The Loras, excuse me. Um, Max guessed 27 minutes, and I guessed an hour and 20 minutes. And it was like, what, 12 like minutes? Six or yeah. ten minutes. <laughs> I was so, so upset. I really thought... It but, was gonna I mean, be we a see them repeatedly. We it's basically, do. this is a road movie, and every, between every, like, change in setting mm-hmm. for, for our hero and heroine, um, <laughs> they fuck like mad. <laughs> instead of, instead of how in other road movies you may see, like, like pictures of montage. them in, in front of the Welcome to Nebraska sign, you just see them... Banging like angry rabbits in gross Hot, hotel rooms. Steamy, heavy sex. Ah, uh, like there's holds involved. Like it's it's intense. yeah, it's a very and um he gets so up in her guts that spoiler alert she gets pregnant. Yep. Yeah. That's all David Lynch could think to do with a female <laughs> character. Let's see. This one got raped. Uh, this one wants to murder people. Oh, and this one gets pregnant. That's it. That's what women do. I, I enjoy in this movie how we know about everything easily 20 minutes before Nicolas Cage figures it out. Like, we know that he was there the night his girlfriend's dad died, easily half an hour before he figures it out. We know she's pregnant at least 15 minutes before he figures it out. It's a great time. Yeah, this, and that gets it, like... Like, as we said with Faye, I think David Lynch is really cool stylistically. I Mm -hmm. think he's fucking hysterical. I mean, he spent a whole year doing weather reports. What? Are you aware of this? Every day from his house, he's been doing a... a, I haven't watched one yet, but I imagine they're, like, ethereal and strange, but, like, a weather report of just him recording. (laughs) And he's done it every day for a year last week, I believe. Yeah, see, that sounds very fun. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, but that's not right. There's no plot in a weather report. <laughs> I guess you're which right. Which is probably why that would be a better medium for him. <laughs> he should just be a weatherman. But but this this sense of um, dramatic irony where we know things before the um, the character does is can be a great source of tension because you're waiting for them to discover it because mm-hmm. you know that you know it and they don't. What happened in this movie with this particular example? We have no reason to think Nick Cage doesn't know this. <laughs> so there is no dramatic tension or irony because we think he knows it already. And then it's like a surprise late in the movie where he like, it's a revelation for him. Mm-hmm. It's like, why, why else did you think that woman was trying to kill you, man? Like, um, it was because of his individuality uh, and um, personal freedom free no that wasn't it i think it's r r 
Or read them. Read. Read them and weep. Re- I got freedom. In okay, so skin spoiler alert: it was about forty degrees and windy when we were watching this movie. So and dark. And so dark. Nick and I both have so our we- notebooks with illegible scrawl. Oh yes, I mean some of it is quite legible, but some of it it gets very um it breaks down. Like there's a point where it just says V hot dirt and then the word crazy underlined in all caps and then um pardon my language but titties underlined in all caps. Yep. And that could have been any part of the film, honestly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, where to start? Yeah, let's uh, uh let's take it back a little bit. Yeah. We, are we gonna kill the theater manager first? What? That's like the beginning of the movie. He oh, beats right. a man to death with his bare hands. Yeah. So let, let's let's introduce our characters <laughs> yes. here. We Excuse have me. Sailor Ripley. Great name, by the which way. Which just people are unfazed by that name no. for whatever reason. Uh, played by one Nicholas Cage. Yes, he spells it the right way, like I do. N I C O L A S. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he spells Nick N I C K also the right way. No, sorry. N I C is the correct way to spell the shorthand of Nicholas. He would get it. I own a pyramid too, so we're we're like. <laughs> Like this. Um, this is 1990. This is Nick Cage, like right, right after Moonstruck and right before leaving Las Vegas. True. So it is. Um, it is a handsome Nick Cage, full head of hair, and I like it's it's a crazy Nick Cage. Oh, if for you sure. haven't seen this and you know that some Nick Cages are crazy Nick Cages, this is one of. It is about as cranked up at his as his trailer park energy can be, I feel, is this movie. Oh yeah, he is howling and screaming. It's like almost meme level Nick Cage. He is constantly wearing a snakeskin jacket that he talks about all the time. Yeah, he's like sort of a wannabe Elvis outlaw. He in fact has two full length Elvis ballads in the film. <laughs> yes, he does. Which is, I really love them, like. When they when the first one started, I was like, I don't know about this, and then by the end of the second one, I was like, Ha oh, ha, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> so Nick Cage is a bad boy oh, who yes. one might say is wild at heart, <gasps> and he has been seeing a young woman, all of twenty years old, as I recall, uh, Lula, played by Laura Dern. Indeed, these names are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Good start, good start. Um, but they, they are young lovers. They are young, wild, passionate, fiery lovers. And that's kind of what the movie's about. And uh, Laura Dern's mom has put a hit out on Nick Cage because, as previously discussed, he was witness to her killing her husband in a fire yes with through her various mafia ties there's like this crime thriller element to the whole story um so yeah crime and murder and sex yeah passion david lynch david lynch crispin glover um crispy gloves oh man so which leads us to this scene where Nick Cage murders a man with his bare hands. Yes. Um, well, it's a theater manager, so can you really blame him? <laughs> Just kidding, Faye. Uh, <laughs> um, so a theater manager comes out and basically says, I heard you was trying to have sex with... 
And I think he refers to the mother by name. Like, I get the vibe that everyone kind of knows everybody in this movie to a certain degree. Like, even the people they meet on the road, like, it seems like they all know each other. Yeah. This, which might just be because it's a movie and they all know each other. a knife on Nick Cage yeah. and says that he was trying to fuck Lulu's mom in the bathroom. Which, like, that's an insane reaction to pull a knife on somebody after you maybe caught them having sex in a bathroom. Like, just, they're already leaving. It's just let them leave. Implausible. Right? <laughs> But and it's like a it's not like a movie theater like it is a theater it looks like an opera house basically yes. and uh, Nicholas Cage responds by beating this man to death on the nice marble staircase and, and then points his bloody hand at the mom yes. to say like you did this yes because he didn't actually think that Nick Cage was trying to fuck Lulu's mom uh, rather he was an assassin. <sighs> bum, bum. Hired by Lula's mom. What's her name? Um, Laura Dern's mom. Laura Dern's mom. Laura Lenny. <laughs> Diane Ladd. Diane Ladd. Diane Keaton. Laura Dern's IRL mom. Earl. And IF in ITF in this film. F is for family. Mom. We have to F watch that still. F is for Laura Dern. And she, so she's just like this wicked witch. We'll get there. I yeah. I, that is one of one of the most constant reoccurring motifs in this movie is talking about the Wizard of Oz. Yes. And I kind of love it. Like it has its charm. It like it the idea of applying the wizard like the Wizard of Oz, which is just like the most dreamy, pure, rated G movie ever made, to this movie, which is <clears throat> I wouldn't say arguably one of the most violent sexual movies ever made but it it could probably make a list yeah it's in the in the violent sexual <laughs> half of movies you you do see william defoe's head explode at one point we'll get there but oh, you know man. is nick and i call him william this whole episode sorry willem there we go mr lighthouse That's himself one. you're getting a count going mr lighthouse van gogh <laughs> yeah willem defoe in like a nominally slightly better than his role in boondock saints role here uh, but we'll get there. Oh, yes. We will. That's what we do on this podcast. We talk about things that happen later, and then we say, we'll get there, and then, do we? Uh, who Sometimes. knows? Who's to who say? knows? David Lynch movies don't have to have an end. That is true. Let's they just stop. You know what? This pro. has been Laura. This has been Dern After Reading. We talk about Laura Dern movies. We'll see y'all later. Yeah. Bye, Dern. Bye, Dern. Okay, okay. Let's talk about the All rest right. of the guys. I'll, I'll, play the, I'll play the closing music, too, for a second, and people will be like, oh, they're doing it. And then, bam, we're not doing it. <laughs> Where were we? Oh, so Nick Cage goes to jail for a bit. Yep, for five years. And something I enjoyed is every time he goes to jail, it, it then cuts immediately to the end of his sentence, and it says, like, five years, six months, and 30 days later, or something like that. I, I enjoy that. It's a nice nice way nice. to save time. Yeah. So yeah, he uh, gets out of jail. You know, the first thing he does, he gets picked up by his lady, Lulu. Yeah, and, like, we should describe Lulu a bit. Um... Go ahead. As we said with Faye, hottest Dern there is. The hair, the clothing. The like 1990 perm, big blonde hair. She wears these like, it's a lot of skin. A lot of skin. Oh, yes. Even when she's wearing clothes. Like she, she wears these very low cut, kind of dark, sexy. Like the two of them are just this 
almost like a Bonnie and Clyde in their energy. Yeah. Like a hot young couple who just want to like burn the world down and fuck while they do it. Um, not that she seems like bad hearted or anything. Oh no, she is but she's wild hearted, like, Max. She's, Come there on. We go. The title is appropriate. I think it's what David Lynch got most right, and that's because, well, the author of this book um, named the book that, so Lynch doesn't really get any credit for that. It is amazing to think that only three years later she would play one of the most powerful female roles in cinema in Jurassic Park. And in this movie, she is just a hot, hot lady doing hot, hot things with sort of hot Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I'll give him sort of hot. Like, hot and... A little too hot in a certain town. <laughs> he's a he's is a, that town Big Tuna, Texas. He is a Poconos ten. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Also, Big Tuna, actually El Paso, Texas, a town I've been to. Wow. Ha <laughs> But we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we should get shirts. We'll get there. Um. um yeah. I. Some might consider this hot. I don't especially, but Nick Cage, especially early in the scene in the movie, there are several scenes where he's basically like like a Mortal Kombat character on a waiting screen where they just kind of like oh, yes. move up and down like he's like panting really hard, but just doing something normal. Like it it's just like signals his like personal intensity i guess where like, he just has this movement about it him. feels like he is stage acting and everyone else is film acting for the oh, whole movie he's just like super overdoing I think everything you just cracked the code on nick cage <laughs> he, you are our national treasure thank you he never learned he, he never <laughs> learned film acting he just he went to one stage acting class and he's like got it done <laughs> that'll be my whole feels. career this belongs in a museum Sorry, that is Indiana Jones. Yeah. Faye's favorite movie. Hey, Faye, if you're still listening. Thanks, thanks for sticking, thanks for sticking around. We are now, what, almost an hour into this episode? It just never ends. Ah, oh, dear. Um, yeah, so it's like, plot is tough because it's just all just a series of sex and, like, crime hitman thing. Yeah, at one, well, I mean... Where, where do you want to go? I feel like we got options here. I don't know. Take um, me somewhere. Let's go to New Orleans. Oh. We This opens on what I believe is the house that Nicolas Cage owned for a while. Really? Maybe not. He he bought the the murder house in um, New Orleans. The one that uh, Madame Laveau, that might be made up. The oh, woman who like tortured and killed slaves. Oh, not Madame He Lovato. owned that house for a while. And it might have been the one they pass in the opening scene. I'm not 100% sure. Wow. But I feel like his time in New Orleans for this film is probably the reason he bought that house. Hell yeah. It would make a lot of sense. He also bought a pyramid, which he still owns, in a New Orleans cemetery, which he plans to be buried under. I've been saying it for years, guys. Buy murderers' houses. Honestly. Like, they're just sitting there. And you can buy The a... price is right, because a lot of people, a lot of people who aren't cool, yeah. they're like, oh, I don't want to be in a murder You can buy house. Jeffrey Dahmer's boyhood home. It was on Zillow for a while, although I think it's sold. Yeah, but whoever bought it, maybe they'll kill some more people and, um, and then sell it again. I'm just going to say, I understand that there are some problems around people that love murderers and serial killers. There's ethical issues. But all that aside, Jeffrey Dahmer's boyhood home is gorgeous. Oh, I, w- <laughs> I, I just it is in the middle of like I think it's in Was- like upstate Washington. I might be making that up. Well, I, it's in it's in a lovely like, like boy. 
I don't remember. I it doesn't matter. But he, like, it's a lovely, like, it's off in the woods. It's off the main town. It has a lovely, like, wooded backdrop. It has big windows. It's, like, a nice, like, 50s architecture. Perfect Beautiful place fireplace. to raise a child. Exactly. Perfect place to... Nothing will ever go wrong with that Perfect child. place to abuse a child into serial killing. Yes. And so, New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, they go to New Orleans... They get there, they have sex, obviously. Um, and then who shows up? But I'm going to say um, Laura Dern's mother's simp. <laughs> um, he's not, I, I don't think he's a hitman. I think he's like a private detective that yeah. she has fooled into loving her. He's like an on and off boyfriend. And did I say, it's Harry Dean Stanton. It is a Harry Dean David Stanton. David Lynch Longstand. He just died recently, unfortunately. He also spent his entire life smoking every minute of the day, so... The fact that he made it past 50 is amazing. Um, yes. Uh, Mama Dern in this film has, like... She has, like, Cruella de Vil energy. She really does. She's, like... She's a very, commanding like... commanding she's, she's very elegant. Yeah, and she's, evil. like, very rich. She's, like, always wearing a robe if she's not out of the house. She's straight, just, like, swigging martinis she does, multiple times. In, in the beginning, she gulps a martini down, because, like, I think it's something about her daughter and Nicolas Cage. Yes, and she despises Nick Cage yes, but she, she also bad wants to have sex with him when she's drunk maybe oh yeah I think I might have missed this I, yeah in the movie theater bathroom she's trying to like bone him oh and I think like I don't know if she tried to get the manager to kill him because he said no or just because of the reason Ooh. that he might have seen the, the thing happen such melodrama like well, I don't Lynch, you've done it like, again I don't know if that was supposed to be a trap or if she just wanted to bone that hot young dude which yeah. either one makes sense in this movie honestly yeah because these characters are dog shit yeah they i agree they it absolutely makes sense um and so the simp so this is so she um so Lori dern flees with nick cage yes and they're she, on she the road sends, she sends the simp out to find them yes like a, like he's a pi um, later, because she's like, this guy ain't gonna get the job done. He's, he's a simp. Yeah. Um, he's an absolute she cuck goes boy. to, like, her, her mafia connects. The Who real bad boy. The real Chad. Is that Crispin Glover, then? I think we had issues deciding who he was in this movie because yes, ev- almost every true. man that is not Nicolas Cage is played by a thin, white, dark-haired person, mostly shaded. Yeah. You don't see a lot of full, bright faces in this movie. Yes, a lot of like they look like they could be like like Italian. They look like, yeah. like a deep Italian Mediterranean oh, tan. Yeah. We love an Italian. Which is weird for Crispin Glover. That's true. Um so let's confirm who who Crispy was. Oh Crispy Gloves. Crispy Glover as Dell. Sure. Del? So I guess it doesn't matter. Um, so she sends a real hitman, and once she does this, she starts panicking, and she rubs lipstick all over her face and calls Harry Dean Stanton and says, I have something really important to tell you, but I can't tell you. <laughs> I'll be there tomorrow. And, yes. And he's like, but I thought you wanted me to follow them. And she's like, no, no, you wait there. I'll be there tomorrow. And... Wait, and the thing she has to tell him is that, hey, I hired a hitman to kill Nick Cage, and he's gonna kill you now, too, and I can't talk about it. And then she goes to dinner with him the next day, and then he immediately gets murdered by the hitman, like, as soon as he goes back to his room. Yep. And, uh, 
Yeah, man. Bummer. And like, so there's David Lynch trying to do plot. He's like, wait, I can't have her just call. For some reason, she needs to get down there to like be part of the story. And her reason is, hey, I know your life is in mortal danger. And there's like huge news, huge news. I need to share with you. It is as urgent as possible. I, I'll i tell you tomorrow. I'll I can't do it over it, the phone. It's, it's like she shows up the next night. Like it's, <laughs> it's not even like she caught the flight immediately. Yeah. Jeez. And then... She had a few martinis. She slept them off. And yeah, she's like, she, all right. She scrubbed off that lipstick. Get down to the big easy. So after Harry Dean Stanton is offed, she has a little a meetup in the hotel lobby with her assassin. And this is the first instinct... The first... um. What's that word? Not instinct. Instance, excuse me. I've had some college. This is the first instance of a weird David Lynch peppering in of weird people to be weird. That was the first one. I, I'm sure it's the, he's always I know. doing I think it. we might have seen that. I think that old lady with the hands was earlier. But there's three old people just kind of gathered around her. One of them is so old that he has like those bands on like those barber bands on his old timey white shirt and he's bent over at a right angle with a cane. There's another old guy and then there's like Oh, a... I thought he had one of those like old timey crutches. No, no, it was like those like those things that like you see bartenders wearing in like western movies. Yeah. I don't know what they're for, but you know. It's a sex thing. There's Oh, sure. It's it's for edging. <laughs> you cut off the blood flow to your hands and then it's like there's a stranger in the room. Hmm. So you lay, we'll be back in a few. <laughs> you lay on your arm weird, and then, ooh, it's like a noodle. So yeah, um, the, the assassin comes in, and he says he says to the old man, beat it. And one of the old guys says, me too? And he says, yeah, you too. And then two of them leave. They just shuffle away. And one of them just stays there, and then the, he's just in the background. Like, he doesn't leave, but you know he's still there. And then the, he, this never comes up, by the way. He's just there. He's an old man. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that, and things like the this are like... They're quirky and kind of fun. Like, that's kind of funny to, like, have it all be like, me too. Like, this hitman being like, scram. Yeah. It's like, oh, also me. And then they just sort of shuffle off. Like, there, there's some good comedy there. But I think this this weird people for the sake of weird people is probably my least favorite element of David Lynch films. Where he'll have... These people, th- there's one instance later, I think it's in Big Tuna, where we get three fat, topless women dancing in a background. Yes. And, like, that's it. That's all they do. And then they enter frame, they dance. It's supposed to be, like, weird, what the fuck? You're looking, they're like, are those women topless? They're all really fat. Why are they here? I don't know. And then they're gone. And, like... You could argue, like, oh, that's good representation. Like, you never see naked fat women in film. It's like, that's accurate. But to me, I see this as exploitation. As, like, let's have a freak. Let's have a weirdo. Let's have old weird-looking dudes. And at worst, it's exploitation. It's saying that, like, you are here because you're weird and different. And we're highlighting that just because we want this movie to be unsettling and uncanny. And at best, it's like... Just a a real fucking, like, poor attempt at, like, I just like, oh, 
look, look, we're being edgy, right? It's like a 12-year-old being like, oh, what if we had a, a naked fat woman? What if we had three naked fat women? Well, what? I don't know about... Wouldn't that be doubly, triply weird? Nice. I don't know about you, but that, that scene gave me a boner with a capital O. <laughs> <laughs> that is a line from this movie that Willem Dafoe says to Nick Cage. And oh, I, I wish we asked Faye about that line, because I want to know if that's brilliant or if David Lynch is a terrible writer. I think that's... Br- one I, or the other. I stand firmly on the fact that he heard that at a gas station somewhere, and he's like, he tucked it away. Boner uh, with a capital, capital O. o. <laughs> I got a Texas-sized boner. It's got a big old O in it. Man, so, um, I guess we're in big tuna now, really. I mean, what else? Yeah, that's after New Orleans. So yeah. they go... They go to big tuna. They stop off. He uh, he goes, sees his old his old lover, I think, who, of course, is played by David Lynch's at-the-time lover, um, Rossellini. Isabella Rossellini. Isabella Rossellini, who is a beautiful woman. Yeah, who you may remember, if you've seen Blue Velvet... As, as that woman who is not a real human at as all. As Blue Velvet. Just <laughs> exploitation incarnate, I would describe her. Not to objectify women to the point of hair color, but I do have to say, hey, I think... <laughs> we can't objectify women more than David Lynch already has. Uh, you're, you're right. I think she is prettier with her like weird blonde faux mullet that she has in this movie than her like and her like super eyebrow true then i don't i don't i assume this is dyed and she naturally has darker hair but who's to say how it looked yeah but yeah man she's killing it she's cool she's hot she's talking to nick cage saying like oh there's not a hit on you but there is so they end up in this town like nick cage knows he has some connects there and they're like out of money Basically. Yeah, they're, they're staying like, like a dirt a a dirt floor hotel. Yeah, in the, middle the of whole thing tuna. is like little western town vibes. It's like I'm assuming it's in like West Texas or North Texas. So they're gonna big the big Panhandle Texas, like empty. That's I mean, the feeling. It even is. West Texas is empty. Like it Most being that this was filmed in El Paso, it makes sense because El Paso, like it's kind of built up now, but like there are parts of it where it is just dirt it is nothing yeah it's like like, 10 miles of nothing this is such like an art school like i feel like this is what marfa texas is if you know about marfa oh yeah the ufo town town, baby taken over by artists basically by like people like david lynch the marfa lights where it's like if you really went to some small town in texas you would either meet like um old boring white christian folk or like old Mexican Catholic folk. And, like, that's it. Like, Mm -hmm. for some reason, this town is just, like, oh, yeah, you know, this random-ass, like, population 600 podunk Texas town is just sprawling with, like, rapists and hitmen. It, It was... I don't know why. It felt like it's just because Lynch wanted it to be. So, I mean, I guess we gotta talk about Willem Dafoe now. He is in this town, he maybe lives in a hotel, and he has a John Waters mustache. It is purely a John Waters mustache, and I know at this time in history, David Lynch and John Waters were, like, chummy, so I can only imagine that he was like, I want to put that man's look on someone else. And he made him an evil rapist villain, which, what are you gonna do? 
Yeah. Not even, like, I still think that his character could be gay and he was just, like, being all handsy with Laura Dern to, like, manipulate her or, like, just, like, play with her like a toy. Yeah, I mean, it was it's clearly from a place of power more than lust. True. Rape typically was... is. Speak, speaking of rape, let's go all in. Laura Dern got raped when she was 13 in this movie. Yeah. And then... Because if you're gonna have a female character... Know that that is pretty much a prerequisite for and her then story. And we get trauma flashes right around this time of her also getting an abortion. From uh, being raped by her, her uncle, her dad's her, friend. Her dad, her friend uncle. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's that. Which is sad and intense. I mean, yeah. And it's like, that, that, so that is like, you know, we get a little plot. I'll give credit where it's due. Is that um, Dern? We don't know much about her. Like basically, she is just this this young woman who has just this fiery passion for Nick Cage, and he's a young man, a slightly less young man, with a fiery passion for her. And we don't get a lot of the blanks filled in on who they are, yeah. and kind of the only blank we get with her. Which again, I think if you're gonna have a female lead, like, give just it doesn't all have to be rape and pregnancy. Like maybe you can throw in anything else about you know the human experience. But what we do get about Dern is that she was raped and abused as a child, um, was impregnated, and then had an abortion. And like, guess what? Oh, Nick Cage, all that sex is bound to happen. Now she's got a little bun in the oven, a little baby sailor. Oh, God. And she throws up in the hotel room, and they stay in that hotel room for days, and they just don't clean it. It just, it reeks of puke in that room, and they're there for days. It's just, they just talk about it all the time. They're like, it smells like puke in here. And Laura Dern's like, yep. At one point, the camera just pans over to a pile of puke by the bathroom door, and then just like back. Yes. That's it. Um, I will say I love it was very unsettling shot that was very good of this um, abortion reveal and it's yeah, that was, through the oof. that sort of magnifying glass light thing that like doctors and dentists will use on Dern's face like on her eye and it's just a haunted awful awful look and she looks vaguely young but you contextually like oh she's 13 and then it's just like a close-up shot of the like septic off doctor's office trash can and just like a bloody bag and it thrown it in. is thrown in with all of the with all of the empathy and care of a um, college freshman throwing out his final paper after he gets it back yes. just crumble up Kobe so right in the tossing can. the rubber tossing the rubber so we should rename this cast <laughs> tossing the rubber a Laura Dern fan cast. Um, so yeah, kind of a bummer there in the middle. Oh, and then, uh... Is it heist Willem, time? Willem Dafoe. Well, no, first he's, uh, first he's got to try to rape her, well, right? Well, yeah, a little bit. And naturally, right, because women and pregnancy are just women equals pregnancy, like Willem Dafoe sniffs it out. He knows... And we as the audience know. It's like, this is a setup and another one of those things where Nick Cage is the last to know. He No, he knows he at He knew point. at this point. But he doesn't know when we do. But not because of any sort of dramatic tension where it's like, oh, he hasn't seen what's there. 
he sees the same exact things we see. It's just that we, a discerning audience who recognizes that David Lynch peddles in like the lowest common denominator, go, oh, oh, she's sick. Oh, she's going to be pregnant. Like that old canard. And sure enough, she is. And she's, it scares her because of her past trauma. Um, and then Willem Dafoe like goes over there to just rape her because, you know, the John Waters mustache. And, and he smells the vomit and like figure pieces it together because a woman, if a woman throws up, she's gonna have the baby. I mean, that's science. I've seen movies. That's how the good Lord made us. Big guy. Um, so they throat sing "fuck me" for I'm gonna say three minutes of screen time, and then uh, Willem Dafoe takes Nick Cage out to have a few drinks and talk about his big heist. <gasps> they're gonna they're gonna rob the feed store there's <laughs> there's easily five thousand dollars in cash in the safe in the back and that's enough for nick cage and laura dern to go anywhere hell mexico california and hey aren't, aren't they have a don't need some cash to take care of that new baby and nick cage gets a little oh his spidey sense is tingling here because he knows lulu doesn't like it's very uncomfortable talking about pregnancy she had to write it down on a note and hand it to true. him or her lover. And so he's like, wait, she told you that? So he's getting a little like, wait a minute. You went over there? You saw her alone? He thinks something's fishy. But not enough to be like, oh, I shouldn't go through with this. No, he, he thinks about it for a little bit. And then um, William Defoe calls him Mr. Oh, that was like... Damn, yeah, that yeah. was really enunced, too. Um, he calls him Mr. Big Round Balls. And that that uh that goads him into doing it basically. Yeah. He's like, fine, I'll do it. I need the money. So uh, the getaway driver Rossellini pulls them along to the feed store. They go in. It goes sort of okay. We re- we find out in the interim that Willem Dafoe is going to murder him either during or after and make it look like an accident. Yes, like he, there is in fact in a hunt. hit. Yes, there is still a hit. On Sailor Boy. And... And Willem Dafoe and Rossellini are both in on it. Yes. So they go into the store. Willem Dafoe goes in the back. He takes the guys. And Nicolas Cage is just absolutely... He is as crazy as he has, is in the whole movie right here. He's just jumping up and down, screaming, like really full of energy. Yeah. He's Which, doing the... Like, this is when, if, you, if you're going to unleash your Nick Cage, do it... In an armed robbery. Exactly. Like, absolutely. Yeah. This is where you want Nick Cage. Yeah, so they get the money, and then Willem Dafoe just pretty much kills both the people in the store. Nicholas Cage which is shoots like... shoots the one guy's hand off. Yes, which a, a, a dog then steals the hand and runs away, yeah, which I think cute. is a fantastic little piece. Apparently there. a nod to a Kurosawa film that I am unfamiliar oh. with. I'm not overly familiar with Kurosawa, but... One of these days. But he's no David Lynch. Uh, I'll tell you what. So, essentially, they had this talk before, and they said, like, no one's getting hurt, right? And one of the foes, like, no one's getting hurt. And then people get hurt. Nicholas Cage gets mad. <laughs> Except you, and also those other people. Yeah, whatever. And then they, they come out. There's a cop. Uh, Rosalini takes off. There's a cop there. The cop is pointing a gun at Willem Dafoe. And I would would like to say here... Yes. Um... My what I was most impressed by in this film was this moment, this cop with the gun. Something you rarely see, and I, it just peeves me to no end. Is everybody who holds a gun in a movie holds it with one hand, 
Which, if you've ever shot a gun, that's not how you do it. That's true. You hold it with two hands. Otherwise, it's going to hurt. You're going to aim badly and your arm's going to go flying. I mean... And this cop, to get down to one knee, two hands. Well done. For the, for the pure reason, I'm sure that was just a cop. Like, I feel, <laughs> I feel like David Lynch is the kind of person that would just hire cops to be cops for, like, a, a scene where you literally just need to be a cop. Yeah. And then he, um, he shoots the living hell out of Willem Dafoe. He unloads his gun, just like, bam, 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 shoulder, knee, stomach, knee, knee. And then Willem Dafoe falls on his shotgun and blows his head clean blows off. Blows his own head. It goes all the way now, off. Now, what's on his head? He has, they, they, sorry, they put stockings on their head, because, you know, a robbery. And you see a chunk of his skull with the stocking still on it fl- fly up and off and hit the side of the feed store, which is great. As far as movie, movie, um, I wouldn't even call it a suicide. As far as ac- accidental self-head explosions go, this is it. This is the one. It's one of the funnier... It reminds me of, like, Pulp Fiction. Where the, oh, like, my God. Yes. It's, it's that Bummer. same kind of, like, you don't see it coming, and then, like, bam, you're like, wait, what the fuck just happened? And uh, Nick Cage, of course, he's a very good boy at heart. He is wild oh, at heart. wait a minute, that's not what this movie's called. <laughs> Imagine if it was good boy at heart. Be, be a dog movie. No, but uh, he's a very good boy, so he doesn't make trouble. He just lays there. He gets he goes to jail for six years, and then uh, when he gets out, he has a son. Yeah. He has yeah. a son. Laura Dern seems like she she must have some sort of job. She seems like she's doing well. Um, her mother calls her, and she is looking as unhinged as she is in the whole movie. She's they, they old age make up her, for sure. And she's just screaming at her daughter, you will not go see that man. And then her daughter says, I will do what I want. I'm a woman or something Which like that. Which is basically, you know, and then, just replaying what happened at the beginning. Exactly. And she throws a glass of ice water on a picture of her mother that she has on the coffee table. And... For the rest of the film, we kind of see shots of her mother melting, which is an allusion to her being the Wicked Witch. And at the very end, the picture frame is empty to signify that her mother is gone now, which I guess that's how it works. Man, if only this movie had a good witch. Oh, 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 my dear boy. Okay, so Laura Dern goes and picks up Nicolas Cage. They're driving for a minute. Everything seems fine. Um, We're like two hours in now. You uh, can feel you're in the ending. Oh, yeah, and we are like, this is less than ten minutes left from here on out. Um, she picks up Nicolas Cage, they're in the car for a minute, and then she stops and she's crying, and Nicolas Cage is like, I, you've gone so far, you've raised a child without me, you, we should just, I'll we'll go our separate ways, you keep raising the kid, I'll keep being an outlaw. And it's basically, yeah, like an I'm not good enough for you, it's, I'm, I'm wild at heart, baby. It's like, he wants to be with her. Yeah. But, he thinks he's a piece of shit, you know, cause the, the murder and stuff. He's, he's like, uh, he's like the Scarecrow. He wants to bang Dorothy, but he knows he shouldn't because she's 13. But then he gets into, uh, I don't even know how to describe this. He, he's walking down a completely empty, I'm, I'm just going to guess off of my personal experience, like near one of the freeway entrances in El Paso and there's nothing. And then you see all these. It would be like a great, like Tony Hawk. Oh, yeah. Like, and it's like, kind of like it's like MTV. middle of the day, very bright. And you see all these leather jacketed men, which I don't know if this was just one of them, but I remember multi- multiple of them being Asian. They were like a 
an ethnic grab bag. I yeah, they they were a mixed bag of they people. They were a diverse set of young toughs. And for no particular reason, they all come from different areas around Nicolas Cage and center in on him. And he, he just says, what do you faggots want? Which I can say because I'm bisexual. And then um, they punch him, obviously. And then while he's lying back there, the good witch, who, was that just a, a person? Like, it wasn't anyone in the movie? I, I no, it was just, it, it looked like, if I recall, it's been a long time since I saw Wizard of Oz. Isn't there that same exact kind of, like, floating? Oh, yeah, no. She, when, the, when the house lands on the, right. the Wicked Witch of the East, I think? Um, one of the Wicked Witches, she comes down and says to Dorothy, like, oh, you've killed my sister. That's so good. That's why we need the silver standard. Yes. <laughs> All the way with LBJ. <laughs> um, so the Good Witch comes down and says, like, ah, you don't want to be wild at heart. You want Laura Dern. And then he says, I do. And then he gets up and dusts himself off. One of the toughs says, have you had enough? And he's like, yes, I have. And I'd like to apologize for assuming that you men were of the homosexual persuasion. Or something of the such. Which is dumb. It is. But I think it's nice. It was polite of him. He's a good boy. And he only said that original thing because he was very upset. And then he, he goes back. He, he, um, Lord Dern is stuck in traffic. And he starts jumping over on cars. He's like on a car Running hood. over cars. And then he finally, he finally stops. And he like looks for a second. And then he turns around and he's on his, his uh, Lord Dern's car. Which has lovely... Uh, zebra prints, zebra like print. dashboard. The, and the stuff. whole movie, they were driving some like fifties convertible, mm-hmm. like it, it, the like James Dean ness oh, yeah. of it all. Um, yeah, now I don't know if it's the same car, but now it's like decked it, out. Yeah, it's, zebra. A, it's a little nicer, and uh, they kiss, they get back together. It's him, her, their son. The wicked witch is gone, and they have defeated evil. I guess. And they are wild at heart. By the way, they say that four times in the movie, wild at heart. You know, most movies just say it once. I like the four. Yeah, just say it. The more, the merrier. Exactly. Like a title nod. Although I saw, I watched Forrest Gump the other night, and they say Forrest Gump like fucking 50 times in that movie. Just keep saying it. Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump. Peas and carrots, peas and carrots. Jenny gave me AIDS probably. You know, it's... Sweet spike. It's a whole thing. (laughs) Can't sit here. Every time I watch it, I... In the beginning, when he gets on the bus as a little kid, there's the one kid that says, you can't sit here, and he says it just like that, like a like a newsie. <laughs> and every time, I'm like, ah, that fucking kid. Ah, oh, well, Max, we did it. We watched another Lord. Yeah, movie. oh, there's one part where, like, a guy just started quacking in a bar for no fucking reason. Oh, yeah, this guy had much. a weird alien voice, and he was talking to Nick Cage and Laura Dern, and nothing came of it. Yep. What are you gonna do? Maybe he's in another David Lynch movie and he's a main character and, like, it's supposed to be a crossover. I mean, we haven't seen all of them. Maybe that's the main character of Firewalk with me. Kyle MacLachlan and that squeaky voice, chubby older man is just like... (laughs) (laughs) And Kyle MacLachlan is like, that's some damn good pie. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. Like... (sighs) Yeah, man, where do we start? Yeah, what do you think of the ending? I mean, of the David Lynch movies I've seen, I feel like this one has the most concise ending. Which is, although that speaks volumes. I mean, that being said, though, like, even um, Blue Velvet, like, it has an ending. Like, the girl gets back her son, 
the evil man goes to jail and Kyle MacLachlan ends up with Laura Dern and has like a home and a life. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't, I feel like of the things we've seen, like there's definitely some mystery and some like unclosed endings, but like, you know, he, he has an, a suitable ending with questions. Yeah. And this one, I feel like we don't know what happens, but I mean, I would assume Nicolas Cage probably does not go back to jail. I'm sure they have a lovely life together. They raise their son and yeah. Yeah, and I, I, like, I liked it. I, I didn't mind the ending. I thought that it was, it felt like a bit of character development. One, when Nick Cage, I, I guess I didn't like him just going right back. Even though you kind of want the happy ending. Yeah. Um, but it felt like even if his, all he learned through the course of this film was that he couldn't be with Darren because he was just gonna like fucking try to rob feed stores <laughs> and like beat people to death oh and therefore my was a bad influence. God, Max. He does go back to jail and you know what happens? Con air. Yeah. What? Yes. Oh my god. Whoa. Uh, yeah. I don't know man. Yeah. I have hope for them. I'm sure things went okay. Yeah, I bet the sex was real good. Oh, for sure. After six years? Are you insane? He came through her. <clears throat> like a <laughs> like a lightsaber. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dian- no, no, no. Oh, no, sorry. Not, not <laughs> I thought you were so taken by that image. I was taken by the fact you. that, uh, one, this won the Palm Door. I recall reading that in my brief. Uh, makes me think less of the Cannes Film Festival. It's the Cannes... Cannies. Do you do you think? And second was that Diane Ladd was nominated for an, ask, do you, an Oscar. Do you think William Defoe went to the Cannies that year? Oh, he goes to the Cannies every year. That that's our William. He honestly, he's probably been there so many times. The Lighthouse, other things. That Vincent Van Gogh movie, I'm sure was there. Hmm. Something I do have to say, credit for this movie. Um, beyond the fact that their child has a mullet. Great call. Correct. Great call. That is a that is a Who big did? ninety Texas move there. I had a rat tail. Oh, of course you did. Back in ninety, you could have one now. Hell yeah, maybe I will. That'd be good. Um, so David Lynch has a thing that I've noticed in pretty much everything I've every film I've watched is where he likes to fixate on certain reoccurring themes and do like intense close ups with very intense like crisp sound. And in Blue Velvet, I didn't love it because it was mostly like ants eating ears, which, you know, it's, I'm fine with it. It's just, you know, not the, it's not a good image. It's not something I want to look at. But like in this movie, it's like crying eyes and matches being lit. Like it's a lot more, I don't know, I don't want to say relaxing, but I like it more what he did here. Like how he tied that into everything and like reoccurring themes of like yeah. sadness and, he put in and some fire. Like, porno sax. Oh yeah. Oh god. Then. Yes. Between the porno sax and the just intense like nineties Texas metal. <laughs> my god, this movie had the best David Lynn soundtrack I've ever heard by far. It was fun. Like it, it was just fun. so vastly different from every any other David Lynch movie, but also within itself, <laughs> the way it bounces around. It yes. is great. Between Elvis, uh, porn sax, and heavy metal, it yeah. is something like else. speed metal. Oh, yeah. And then, at, sorry, we missed this. At one point when they go dancing in New Orleans, somebody bumps into Laura Dern and Nick Cage is like super, he does his little speech about his jacket. He's like, this jacket represents my individuality and 
something or another. And then he gets the guy to say sorry. And this is right after he broke up the band playing speed metal. And then he said, they, he holds out his hand and they throw him the mic, you know, the way they do with somebody that just almost had a fight. And then he sings his Elvis ballad. Yeah. Which I think is very... And the band plays it. The band is playing Elvis, <laughs> like a slow, loving Elvis song right after they were doing speed metal. Oh, God. No, it was fun. David Lynch's brain must be something. Fun, quirky. Yeah. Just, you know, if you could figure out how to tell a story, I think you'd really, really make something special. Well, perhaps this new project will be something else. Maybe. It's been a while since he's put out a movie, honestly. I mean... Yeah, this I, I'm going to say now that whatever's coming out next for him, like... Oh, it's also not going to be a movie. It's probably a series. So... Like, I don't think you improve your craft by just, like, having, like fame and success for forever for movies like this where people eat him up like i don't think he's stray from i don't know man he has transcendentally meditated every day since the 70s what if that's not true i think it's true i have full faith in the fact that this man does can do crazy things with his mind he can bend spoons he could make you shit your pants right now if he really wanted to he just did he knew, he knew he I was bashing him. Just gonna, what if I had a brain aneurysm right now? That'd be crazy. Oh, man. David Lynch. Great. And I'm the one that likes him. That'd be so fucked up. That'd be great for the pod. Oh, that'd be good. Publicity. Well, I'd have to figure out how to upload You'd, this. Yeah, you don't know how to upload things. That'd be trouble. Well, we'll figure it out. Do you want to fake your death and then we'll just go viral? Yeah. Yeah, why not? What the hell? All right. Oh, Nick! Oh, no. What's happening? Ah, ah, my brain, it's aneurysm. Oh, no. ah, Tell my wife. He's foaming at the mouth. Call for help. Tell my wife I love her. Wait, Nick, before you die, just... Uh, just uh, say bye to Dern uh, one bye, last time bye, until bye, next week. Bye, bye, Dern, until next week, but I'll be dead, so it doesn't bye, matter. Bye, Dern! Uh, ah! 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 Dern!